Hello there. You've reached Matthew Zachary. I'm not here right now, but if you leave your name and number at the sound of the tone, I'll get back to you as soon as possible. But seriously, I'm on hiatus for a couple of weeks, so Out of Patience is going to be publishing old episodes, and I say old with love, previously aired episodes over the last couple of months. I picked my favorite six for you, so every Tuesday for the next six weeks, you'll be hearing a best of, in case you missed it, favorite episode of mine right here on the Oscrip Health Podcast Network. Out of Patience will be returning after Labor Day, so gird your loins and prepare yourself for another exciting season of great guests, great conversations, and all sorts of how to unfuck yourself when healthcare comes to fuck you. Enjoy your summer, enjoy today's episode, and I will talk to you in a couple of weeks when I come back after Labor Day. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Hello, friends. Welcome back. Got a really quirky show for you today. Jen Palumbo, epic human being, turns out we went to the same college, was in the same theater group, and somehow didn't know each other. And yet here we are. Karma ensues. Full circle. Small world. Jen's a freelance writer, a Forbes contributor, and a women's health advocate in fertility, which is, you know, something I really care about. Infertility rights, family planning rights. It's a big deal. We're both parents of IVF kids. We both share a love of Wegmans. And man, did we really hit it off live here in studio. And she volunteers for organizations that have already been on the show, names you know, like Resolve and the Alliance for Fertility Preservation. She won the Infertility Social Warrior Award in 2018 and the Best IVF Blog of the Year in 2019. She's loud, she's proud, she's from Long Island, and man, what a great show. Brace yourself, let's get started. Should I call you Jen or Jay? There's a whole story behind that, but the short version is, in the infertility world, everyone calls me Jay, there's a reason why. And then most people call me Jen. Why? Do you want me to tell you? I'm just naturally curious. Okay. So it's slightly two reasons. So when I was younger. We every, were all younger at some point. Yes, we were. In the 70s, almost everyone was named Jennifer because of the friggin' movie Love Story. Yep. Right. And Ally McGraw played a character. I don't know if it was called Jennifer or Jenny or whatever the hell. But anyway, so everyone in my school was named Jennifer was so irritating and because i'm a little old i think it was Jim- but you look great thank you i do <laughs> but in junior high run dmc came out a fabulous new group and rap music i do recall yes and there was someone named jam master j mm-hmm. and i loved rap music and <laughs> i'm gonna sound like such a dork but i was like this new rap thing is gonna Take off. Said the Gen Xer to the Gen Xer. <laughs> yes. And so there was a group of friends I had to differentiate me from the other Jennifers because there were so many. They started calling me Jay as a nickname. It didn't really catch on, but so they would call me Jay every now and then. Okay, fine. So cut to 2009. And my husband and I start having infertility issues. And I didn't want my mother in law <laughs> to know. And so I started writing this blog all about my infertility issues. The two-week wait blog. The two-week wait. And I didn't want my mother-in-law to know. So I was like, you know what? I'll use my nickname 
and not my real name, so she won't know. And so I use Jay. And yet that last name would not be a trigger. <laughs> Somehow. I didn't use the last name. I just I was like Sharon, Madonna. I just put Jay. And then a woman named Gina Bartese was reading my blog. Mm-hmm. And she uh, had a company at the time called Fertility Authority. And she was reading my blog and she really liked it. And she was like, hey, can you come in and I'll interview you? And long story short, she hired me. And she was like, so wait, what's your name? And I'm like, well, uh, that's uh, complicated. Yeah. So I kind of told her the story. She's like, all right, well, we're sticking with Jay. (laughs) That's it. JP all the way. So then my whole career in the infertility world took off and everyone in the infertility world called me Jay. And in a weird, bizarro way, it kind of is cool because I know where I am (laughs) based on what people call me. All right. So for the sake of the people listening to the show... (laughs) I shall dub thee Jay Palumbo. Yes. I actually think Jay is a cooler name than Jennifer. Well, Jen is always like, Jen. Yeah, I know. For our generation, at least. Yeah. Well, I have a similar analog, too, because my legal name is Matthew Zachary Greenswag. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I don't hide that from the public, but I've been using Matthew Zachary as a pseudonym for 26 years. And I did that. And what, yeah, I was going to say, what made you change it? Well, it's my legal middle name. Right. Meyer Ziska, it's like Hebrew. Like uh, Greenswag was like tacked on. Meyer Ziska is my Hebrew name. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it came down to my coping with cancer. Oh. Matthew Zachary was the uh, part of me that survived. Oh, wow. Deep oh, rooted psychology. That. Deep rooted. I mean, it took me years to reconcile why I chose to do that. Yeah. But starting from my first job in 96, after I was done with my treatments, I became Matthew Zachary. My music, my albums, my business cards, every legally I have my driver's license and my health insurance are still Greenswag. Yeah. But Matthew Zachary's been what I've been known for now twenty five years later. I'm Matthew Zachary in the career, in, in, in the universe. I love that. It's like what rose out of the ashes. It's a little Phoenix. Yeah. Yeah. I I'm not ashamed of my last name. I just hate spelling it. <laughs> At least yours is like somewhat alliterative and potentially spellable. Palumbo. Well, and it's funny because it comes up a lot because I didn't take my husband's name, which cracks me up because- Neither did my wife. Good for her because <laughs> no one wants to be a great wife. Well, no, it, it's, what year is this? 2022? 2022. Yeah, it's hard to keep track. I know. Uh, that comes up, well, it doesn't come up and it does come up a lot. So basically, because everyone's like, oh, is this a problem with the kids and yada, yada. It's really not, but I- People are always so shocked I didn't take my husband's name. He doesn't care. Well, my family's even more messed up because I'm Matthew Zachary. Yeah. My wife is Jessica Feldman, and the kids are Kobe and Hannah Greenswag. Oh, wow. So nothing but identity crises in my family. <laughs> anyway, I want to get started, obviously. Nothing makes me happier than when people come on the show that I kind of almost didn't know but knew because we went to Binghamton. Right. right. Which is the greatest college in the world, says me. It's funny because I did transfer there. So I, I went to another SUNY school for two years, and then I transferred to Binghamton. I loved Binghamton. It was phenomenal. Yeah, it really it was. It was just like the greatest, but it was just far enough away where I didn't need to worry about my parents, but just close enough if I needed money. Right. <laughs> or travel home. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I had the greatest college experience. I did, I'm, too. I'm envious of myself, how great it was. I miss it. I think I dream about college. Like, I just... Such a come up and such a wonderful time there. And I met great people there. And we're still friends with people yeah. we met in college. Yeah. Three of my best friends I met freshman year. Right. Jonathan, who I who I was telling you about. Yeah, shout out to John Valukas. Jonathan Valukas, he 
it's one of the best. I think it's like whenever people say you can't have more than one soulmate, I'm like, you're wrong. And I'll tell you why. Yeah, exactly. Jonathan is a soulmate of mine. And he he and I met at an audition. And I swear to you, I've never had this happen before where I was like, hey, I have a question because I just transferred there. I said, how do you leave a note to a stage manager? He goes, you take a piece of paper, you write a note, you put it on the bulletin board, right? Like right here. And I said, okay. He looked at me and he goes, do you want to get lunch? And I'm like, yes, I do. And then we were the best friends. Like, just boom. And then you went to like Dickinson Dining Room. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. But like, we just, I don't know. We just became like the best of friends. We were watching Clue in his dorm room. <laughs> like, that was it. Yeah, by the way, no social media. <laughs> Maybe a lot of AOL floppy disks, but that was about it. Yeah. And I, I loved the theater culture in particular. Like, you remember Studio A and And Studio B, B yeah. Yeah. And then you just... I loved going to... You shut the world off in those places. Yes. But there was always something to watch. Yes. Something being produced. Mm -hmm. And, oh, God, I miss that. You take with you in your life the things that have meaning to you. And, and here we are 26, 27, 28 years later. Yeah. And we're still who we are because of what happened to us back then. Yeah. And, and I do think what was great about that theater program, and I remember at the time being like, oh my God, is they made you, <laughs> I love that I use the word made, but they, they were- They forced you. They forced you to do, even if you were like an acting major, they they forced you to do costume design, set, set design. design. Yes, exactly. Yes. Um, Choreography. Yeah, like all these other aspects of theater. And now that I'm older, but still look fabulous- I really I will appreciate attest it. on the radio you look like this. <laughs> Thank you. But I appreciate it now. I like not only did I learn how to sew, thanks to the Binghamton costume department, but it does give you really interesting perspective. I just think it's also like occupational skills that we don't have anymore. Yeah. I mean, and I I mean I learned a lot from it that I still like even around the house. I don't have to ask my husband to hang anything or do anything because I actually really enjoyed set design. Yeah. Yeah, but it, it's it's got like a proprioception perspective too, and the three modeling, a visualization perspective. You're building something that isn't Lego, right? <laughs> High stakes Lego. Yeah, <laughs> as parents of young kids. Yeah, and even I think you were required to be either a stage manager, or assistant stage manager, and I loved that more than I thought I would. I just I think it. Well, they really pushed you. Yes, and it exposed you to different aspects of theater you may not have tried out that you liked. Right. And I actually think, like, I don't know if it's bad to name names, but, like, David Sugarman and John Bazzetti, I think John Bazzetti. They're clearly listening to this show. <laughs> hey, guys. <laughs> That's so funny. I think John Bazzetti's an agent and David Sugarman's a stage manager. See? Yeah. People that actually become what they studied. Yeah. Rare. <laughs> Imagine but that. But it happens. Yeah. A lot of the people we went to school Harper with. Harper College of Arts and Sciences. Yes. Did go on to do something they actually studied. Yep. And I, I think I might be uh, remiss to let my listeners know that I was the pianist. I was like, I was like the That pianist. I remember. Yeah. It was the best time of my life. I get the, I, I got Especially do... now that you gave me your real name. Yeah. That I. I, I was Matt Greenswag. That was who I was. I was yeah. pre-cancer, pre-whatever the hell I'm doing now, just living your life, want to be a, I was going to go to film school and be a composer. That was what I was training for. That is just so crazy to me. But I played piano for all the music, all the musicals, for the repertory company, all the um, acting auditions for all the shows. Do you remember me? 
Probably. I vaguely, like now that you're putting this all in context, especially the last name, because that's a pretty unique I was the only Greenswag at Binghamton until my brother went there. <laughs> yeah, it's not a Smith. It's no. not like a, yeah, that, I feel like I vaguely remember you now. Like Sweeney Todd auditions. Yeah. I vaguely remember Attend that. the tale <laughs> of Sweeney Todd. His eye was odd. And I remember, so was Rand was his first name, right? Who played Sweeney Todd? Maybe. Okay, so he was a little heavy. I say this with love. Okay. And I remember the reviews. He was no Johnny Depp. No. And I remember the reviews, whoever reviewed that production was like, kind of made a... I'm like, Len Carey, who played the original. He was a little heavy too. But it's fine. Yes. He's a disgusting character. He could be whatever he wants. But the reviewer, whoever reviewed our Binghamton productions kind of made a comment like, I don't really know if this guy's been starving in prison. (laughs) (laughs) I always remember that. I'm like, oh, come on. I just I love to reminisce and a shout out to Wegmans, which for me was like just my my official orientation to oh, there's more than New York than the Bronx. Yeah. Wait, where did you grow up originally? Staten Island. OK, because I, I grew up on Long Island and I do sort of feel like Long Island kind of like a portion of it got picked up. Long and Island moved. North. Yes. And, and just into and everyone lives in college in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was the Long Island dorm room. Yeah, because a lot of people I went to high school with. I'm like, well, this is just dumb. Yeah, because I didn't really get that far away from anybody. Well, again, it was just for, you, know, you, what, you know, the Plattsburgh first. Where'd you go first? To purchase. Purchase. The other P. They the, called the other it, SUNY They P. called it Poor Choice as a nickname. <laughs> it really, it was all bricks. I mean, I'm a big fan of the SUNY system. I mean, even these days, it's twice the price, but you're still getting an extraordinary education. Yeah. Well, my, my father said to my sister and I, I will pay for your college. You will not have any debt, but you have to go to SUNY schools. That was his deal with Well, us. I mean, state discount. Come on. You yeah. can't beat that. Yeah. So my sister went to Stony Brook. I went to purchase for two years and it it was fine. It wasn't the best. But when I transferred to Binghamton, every room had its own phone. Yeah. With its own voicemail. How novel, right? Yeah. We had cable. We had movie channels. Well, there was Binghamton television. Yes. And we had wild pizza, like our own pizza delivery service. Yep. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh my God, some Sunnis are better than others. They had wings too. Yes, they did. Oh my God. And then there were like the like the ice cream locales scattered about the, uh, yeah. the dorms that you can get ice cream. Yeah, that's how I got so curvy. <laughs> you and me both. The Ben and Jerry curves. My God, good times. <laughs> and then life happens. And fuck me. Yeah. Well, and even I had non-invasive thyroid cancer. What year? 2019. That's why I have I have a scar on my neck. Well, that's recent. Yeah, I said I look like a pest. Wait, dispenser. so life hit you too. Yeah. I know. Now I need a new name for that. I'll have like several Jeff, names. You're going to be Jeff Palumbo. <laughs> and you know, Palumbo means pigeon in Italian. Does it really? Isn't that awful? There are lots of them in the city. I know. You know, they're, uh, they're uh, a genetic mutation of a dove. Really? Yes. A genetic mutation? Yeah, pigeons are doves. See, my dad- They've just been like spoiled by the city. <laughs> my dad, whose, whose name it is, because I, again, kept his name, he told people it meant warrior eagle. Go for it. <laughs> Go for it. I'm the phoenix. You're the eagle. We're, 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 we're all good. Yeah. Birds of a feather. All right. So we're going to take a quick break and come back because I want to talk about what happens when life gets in the way. Yes. And when life fucks you up and aging gracefully somehow. Yeah. But before we go to the break, what was your first set when you started to be a stand-up comic? Your first joke? My first joke ever was that I am a skeptical Catholic 
I believe Jesus walked on water. I just think it was winter at the time. On that note, (laughs) we'll be right back. All right, so in the spirit of shit happens, you get older, and fuck me. <laughs> I was going to ask, can you curse on this? And- I can say what the hell I am. <laughs> the FCC ain't got nothing on me. So I'm dealt shit in my 20s. Yeah. You're dealt shit with your children. I, f- I feel like I wanted to write a book called Of Course Me. Because <laughs> Why not me? Because, well, it was like, you know how they say, oh, why me? And then... That it's like, well, why not me? And then after a while, it was like, well, of course me. Like, yeah. It's just like one thing after another. Well, I mean, we share obviously way more common threads than we thought when we met each other out the door today. Right. But infertility has been rife throughout our entire lives. Yeah. And as a as a Italian Roman Catholic, that came as a shock to me. Mm-hmm. I was like. You're supposed not... to be just like pop on the mat like That's eggs. what I mean. Yeah. This is not what I was informed. You're a Pez dispenser by genetic you know, disposition. <laughs> well, and all the nuns were like, if you're in a one mile radius of sperm you're, yeah. you're going to get pregnant and work at a gas station and <laughs> your life's going to be ruined and all that. Yeah. So so when did you f- first realize that uh-oh. I so I got that that's the other thing. So I I got married when I was 34, which I didn't think was old. <laughs> Not by today's standards. No, but like in fertility world, according to the doctors, it was like I was Betty White or I something. <laughs> they were like, oh, my God, you know, you're 34. So we started trying to conceive. And I, I kept feeling like the doctors were overreacting because they were like, oh, my God, because I was seeing an OBGYN RE. And uh, sorry, uh, RE is a reproductive endocrinologist. And he was like, we should be aggressive. Maybe I'll start giving you um medication to have you produce more than one egg and blah, 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 blah. And I just kept thinking, you know, this this isn't that bad. I'm sure, you know, next month it's going to happen, blah, blah, blah. And it just kept not happening. Right. And now we're doing IVF, which I didn't know the, <laughs> I didn't know how IVF worked. Right. I thought they put it. But are you really supposed to? Like, you're not, ex- <laughs> I can't wait to have IVF one day. <laughs> I, I, I think know. about this. Well, and the thing was, I thought... Like in fifth grade, they tell you how to avoid at all costs getting pregnant. Right. They never tell you how to get pregnant. I mean, biologically, you you learn the birds and the bees, but like. Right. But like even when I ended up working in, in the space. I mean, you know how it works, right? Well, logistically, <laughs> yes. But in terms of like, you have to be ovulating and how long. sperm of the month and cycle. And, yes, exactly. Yeah. How long sperm lives in the body and yada, yada. Like I remember my ex-sister-in-law, who is an idiot. Shout out to her. <laughs> she one night told me, she was like, oh, I knew the second I got pregnant. Like, no, you didn't. That's not how it works. No. You're an idiot. Um, and she remains an idiot. Shout out to her again. <laughs> she's gone now. They're they're divorced. Okay. But I'm sure she's listening to this program. Um, yeah, her and the entire <laughs> 95, 96 graduating class of Binghamton. So when he explained to me how IVF works, I, I was shocked where they put the needle. Like, it doesn't need a metaphor an IVF is as bad as a needle in your vagina. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're like, what? So then we do the first IVF and it's awful because I apparently I produce all these eggs. Right. But I don't get that many embryos. Right. It, there's an over under on the, you know, the netting out. Yeah. And then it's like you're paying $15,000 to get your period when people get it for free. <laughs> 
<laughs> never thought about it that You're way. You're like, Jesus. So, yeah. I mean, it's so it just the whole thing was awful and kind of a life changer because I just never thought that this would be a problem. And I, I don't know if you felt this way as a man because I've never been a man, nor have I played one on TV. But as a woman, and especially, again, being Italian and Catholic. Like your body's betraying you. Yeah, it's like the thing that you were meant to do and that, you know, my sister and my cousins and everyone in my family is doing, my friends, you know, they're just, I mean- Popping out, left, right. Yeah, I mean, and I, at the place that I worked at the time, I remember everyone was getting pregnant and someone made a joke at the time, oh, there must be something in the water here. And I'm like, guess I'm drinking at the infertility soda machine because I'm not getting pregnant. Stupid Suffolk County. I know, I'm just like, for crying out loud. So it really- I, I was like, am I being punished? Did I do something wrong? It was really, it really impacted me. Well, in my case, I knew I was infertile because the cancer treatments just rendered me like just an easy bake oven. I, yeah. I was a shell of a person. I, I just knew. Did the doctor, though, talk to you about it at the time of your cancer diagnosis? Surprisingly, yes, only Wow. because I was in pediatrics. Oh. I mean, I was 21, which I should have been in like adult neuro-oncology, but I was tossed into pediatrics for all the right reasons we didn't know about. Right. But if you were above the age of like 14 in this particular clinic at NYU, they had you go to a sperm bank. Because- That's amazing. Well, again, this was progress in 1996. Even today, doctors still don't tell- Well, that's why I asked. Men and women. But again, this was protocol at NYU with the best hospital in the city. I was in the right place at the right time. We were very lucky. Yeah. But I knew I was infertile. I knew I had frozen sperm, that I had to pay $3,600 a year yeah. to keep frozen. That was right. what it cost back then. No insurance, no nothing. You know, no no nonprofits supporting these things. It was nothing. But I knew that when my wife and I were ready to start planning to have kids, this would be an issue. So I, I – Shout out to our dear friends, Joyce Reinecke and uh, Lindsay Norbeck, yeah. the founders of a group I mentioned a million times, uh, Fertile Hope, yep. one of the very first young adult cancer f- fertility advocacy organizations right. in the early 2000s. And and in meeting them, history lesson here, in the Haiti of Livestrong was kind of when they came to prowess. I was like, uh, what do I do? <laughs> I don't know. I just read this article about her somewhere and like, I need to know what to do. And I, I got lucky. Lindsay and Joyce helped my wife and I figure out what we could do in advance of knowing we may need IVF, ICSI, all these things, IUI. Right. And it was fantastic. It's weird to say, like, thanks to them having kids. Yeah. (laughs) But not biologically. (laughs) Thanks to them. (laughs) My wife and I have beautiful twins now. Yeah. But we went through all sorts of crazy processes. But again, we got lucky. We were put in touch with the right reproductive endocrinologists and the right team that knew about young adult cancer infertility. Right. So we got a BOGO, buy one, get one. Yes. No, that's, I mean, it's it's amazing to me. When I started getting very into advocacy, there were two things that shocked me. I mean, well, a lot shocked me. But the two things were that veterans have lack of access to care if they're injured in the line of duty mm-hmm. to, you know, if it impacts their fertility. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? Yeah, the veterans. Yeah, like veterans, and I, I've never served in that. I mean, I have no ties, but I'm like, if you get injured in the line of duty and it impacts your reproductive organs. The least the country can do for you. Yes, for crying out loud. So I wrote a piece about that for the Huffington Post. Like, are, you know, you effing, well, I didn't say. <laughs> not for not back then, no. No, but that shocked me. And I even when I tell people that if you are diagnosed with cancer, I thought, 
of course insurance would cover that. Right. And no. Well, that's been the fight of 20 years. But that, I, that to me is a no-brainer. Well, I mean, ethically, morally, obviously, yeah, as, as a as a taxpaying citizen, yeah. the least they could do is help you actually have a planned wanted pregnancy. If you have a ca- – so, but that's the thing is – I mean, oh, God, I could talk about this all day. Well, let's talk about this all day. One thing – what I learned through Lindsay and Joyce back in the early days is that there's two types of infertility. Right. There's like congenital infertility, which mm-hmm. is what like what you had. Right. You know, like you just happen to have – switched up stuff right or if cancer just destroys your capacity to carry right or to have sperm right right so those are two things but they're coded under two different insurance reimbursement programs so there's congenital but here's the fancy word of the day iatrogenic yes a word we know and love (laughs) which is when infertility is induced upon you because of cancer treatment or other medical concerns right and then of course it's been a huge shift in companies right. that are self-insured that they can afford the everyone gets a baby right policies. Right. But then, of course, some of them are like, you only get a baby if you're born infertile. You get cancer, you can't have a baby. And this has been uh, the fight that women across the country, many names that you know for many years, are going state to state to state right. and forcing these ballot initiatives and these reimbursement problems. You know? But the problem is, too— and it's it's fascinating and awful is because I'm, I'm you know, this has been my thing for. Oh, God, this is your thing. We're talking about your thing. I know for a while now there are two other groups. So I'm going to try to be I'm, I'm I, let me say that that when I report this, I'm not being judgmental. I'm just reporting what they say. Mm-hmm. So one of them is this man named Ron Poole. I, I can't remember his last name right now, but he runs Men Having Babies. And he makes the point, and again, I'm not saying it's good, bad, or whatever, but if you are gay, okay, you infertility, like the gay community, they don't have infertility issues and they don't want to be lumped into that. And so when they fight for like surrogacy rights or family building he doesn't like the word infertility being used as the reason why I'm bringing this up. And then there's this woman whose name I don't recall, so I can't actually offend her. No shout out to her. No shout out to her. But she has been pushing hard for something that she calls like social infertility, where she just couldn't find someone to have children with. So she's like social infertility, like you just couldn't settle down. Now, the reason I mention these two people is some would say... <laughs> They're not helping our cause because one of the things that we go to Washington, D.C. every year for Advocacy Day is to talk to lawmakers and be like, hi, infertility is a medical issue. Yeah, it's a disease. Right. It's a medical disease. The World Health Organization recognizes it as a medical diagnosis. And so we need more access to care. Now, right now in the United States, only 19 states have mandated coverage. But so that's we, thanks to women yelling and screaming for all the right reasons right. at the state capitals. But when you have someone like Ron, who, again, I'm not saying it's not a valid point because it is, but him being like, well, yeah, but. But it's it's not better or worse. It's just different. Can it be approached differently? Right. It could be, it could be just two separate categories. But the social infertility thing is kind of like, eh. <laughs> like you're not helping. I mean, at first- Hearing of this, I am kind of like, eh? Yeah. But I, I, we should get her on the show and talk to her. 
Yeah, I, my friend knows her. She's the one who brought my friend Risa Levine, who's uh, I love Risa. Yeah, she's a fierce shout out to Risa. Yes, huge shout out to Risa. She's a very good friend of mine. Risa was the one to bring this um, to my attention. So Risa actually knows the person who's been okay. Doing it. So you could ask Risa, but Risa's like, I want this woman to stop. <laughs> Wait, so all right, so I, I don't. I, again, this is my first reaction, and basically the issue is if I can't find um, sperm. Yeah, in my life, I mean that I love and want to marry. Yeah, <laughs> or that I want to, I want to, I want to spend my life with this sperm, right? This, this sperm yeah. inside this person, right? Right, or whatever it is, I'm entitled to something. Well, she's like, well, I have social infertility, but you're kind of like honing in on. It's like we're trying so hard to get infertility to be recognized as a medical diagnosis, and you got this chick over here. Who has no medical diagnosis. Well, right, and you're kind of like, like, okay, I get what you're saying, but can you find another word? Because right. like, you're not helping our cause. Yeah. I mean, on one hand, because I always like to try to be objective, I hear what she's saying, but you but need another word. But if it's not a word. medical condition, it's a choice. Yeah, I mean, well... I'll, speaking as someone who was single for an, a disturbingly long time, I, I can appreciate. <laughs> right, I, I'm trying not to just be too judgmental. I, I this makes a lot of sense. I mean, we're in a different era of of society. Like yeah. being single and having partners and doing your thing. Not everyone's going to get marriage is at the I think at the lowest point at this point. People yeah, are, and and people are staying single longer, getting married older when they oh, want yeah. to, and having kids in their 40s and 50s. Well, that's again in my family. I was the only person who got married in my 30s. Everyone got married in their 20s. And I had a joke in my routine that being single in your 30s in Manhattan was like being at the clearance rack at Target. Like everything's marked <laughs> down and irregular. Maybe Walmart. Yeah, but everyone's like, oh, is it because you put your career first? I'm like, no. I just couldn't meet anyone that I could stand. Right. Like I just – I wasn't putting anything first. I was just actually waiting for someone. And then the bar got lowered <laughs> and lowered and lowered and you married Ronald McDonald. <laughs> I I just I thank God I finally met my husband because my family is going to stage an intervention soon. So where are you now in the infertility rights activist world? I it's the last thing that I advocate. I mean, I still um, am the New York state captain. It's very fifth grade model UN for advocacy day for resolve every year. It's usually in May yeah, or shout June. out to resolve and Barb Kalura. Yes. Barb is my shero. She is a mate. She is. I mean, She's a she's a beast. She's fantastic. She friggin' is. I I for this year's National Infertility Awareness Week, I saw her at an event, and I'm like, you're just. She's killing it. She is. She's just so even keeled. And I remember after one advocacy day that was really frustrating. At the end of the day, she's like, "You're coming back next year, right?" <laughs> I'm like, "Yes." She's like, "It takes like five. I mean, it does. It takes incredible persistence." She said, "It takes like five years to push." A bill through and, you know, we had worked on the FAFTA bill, which was here in New York, mm -hmm. and that took a couple of years. And then the next thing we worked on was CPSA, which was to make paid gestational surrogacy legal. This is the wiring in sub-basement 37 that most Americans, you know, wouldn't necessarily need to know about. But how do you feel about the following? If advocacy works, no one needs to know. We operate behind the scenes, not for, I mean, That's you, interesting. Won, you won a great award, Infertility Social Warrior Award 2018. I love that. Right? Yeah. But again, we look at the progress that has been made by advocates for the last 20 years. And yes, are more young adults with cancer getting coverage to take? Yes, there are. Right. But do they know we worked our asses off? No, and they don't need to. We didn't do that for that reason. That's true. But this is what I always say. 
when I was in the thick of infertility, I mean, and you know me well enough to know I am loud and outgoing. <laughs> wait, wait. Have we met? <laughs> Tell me more. But, but when I was in the thick of infertility, I would have weekends where I would just be in bed, mm-hmm. like all weekend. And I wouldn't talk to anyone. I was avoiding social situations because I was worried someone would ask me, oh, when are you going to have kids? Because right. that would come up all the time. Yeah. How do you respond to that? But people don't know. I think it's well-intended. But oh, like, I always yeah. think it's well-intended. Yeah, yeah. I just was very self-conscious about it. Or I would get my period. When are you going to make me a grandma? Right. Exactly. Or something like that. Or even if it was, I don't know, just something totally like, oh, you, got, you guys would have the greatest kids or like it was so sweet. They'd be so smart. Yeah. Like even if it was a compliment, but I just felt like a failure or it would be a failed cycle and I just wanted to cry. And so there was no way I could have been an advocate at that time. Well, you weren't ready for it. Right. And so now that my eggs are dust and I'm at and you the- have kids. And I have kids and I'm at the end and of the my- the shop is closed. The shop is so closed. And I'm at the end of my family building journey. The way I always look at it as I now am able to advocate for the person- who now is in bed. Right. The <laughs> next you. Yeah, like who is where I was then. So I'm ad- I'm advocating for them. So I kind of feel like in that sense, it's good that they know about it because at some point they need to take the ball and keep, or the egg, and keep running with it. <laughs> so we're going to put links to the Alliance for Fertility Preservation Resolve in the episode description. But if, if, if there are listeners out there who are, are now in bed, they're the you of yeah. today, what's one thing they can do right now? It's funny because it depends on whether or not they want to be public because some people don't. Uh, anonymously, what's one, what's, <laughs> what's one thing they could do today? I think if it's anonymously, I would say write your local lawmaker and let them know that their constituents are impacted by infertility. The power of the vote. Yeah, yeah. right. And just voting. But I mean, even like if you are a little bit more braver, you can also contact your HR person. Well, I, resolve.org. Yeah. What is uh, allianceforfertilitypreservation.org? Yes, the longest. Longest fucking URL ever. Thank you for that. But I, I have nothing to do with that. I mean, I feel like I've been one of the loudest male voices in fertility rights. And that's really needed. Yeah. There's very few men. But I'm proud to do it. Yeah. Right? I don't know why. Why? You tell me. Because if you want to have a family, nothing should get in your way. No, no, no. But why are there so few men? I, I think it's a macho thing. No, really? I think it's a macho thing. But even if you're going to help other men? I don't know. Because Hello men listeners <laughs> with sperm. If you'd like to join me in my crusade. They say it's one third women, one third men, and one third unexplained infertility issues. So mm-hmm. it's not like it's the majority is women. Right. So I don't know. Well, we're gonna have you back on the show because this is an endless narrative I love to keep talking about. Sorry. I'm very passionate. About very specific things. I mean, uh, uh, writ large, yes, of course, lots of big swarthy national, you know. I love that you use the word swarthy. Swarthy stuff. <laughs> but yeah, I care a lot about reproductive rights, yeah. family building. And now more Especially than ever. Especially when shit happens to you that you didn't ask for. Yeah. And, and, and the thing too is the public at large, I don't care what anyone says, they still don't know anything. <laughs> Well, again, I, I, so like we all we're all learning well, all this we, stuff because the sky's already fallen on us. Yeah. All right. Jen Palumbo. Yes. SUNY B alumni. Right. Stand up comic. Mm. 
This episode is going to be called Prolific, the Jen Palumbo story. <laughs> we didn't get get into like a, a, the other half of your life. I but, know. But I think we can. Yes. Because I, I think the listeners have been intrigued. Uh, well, I hope. By all you are. Yes. Um, I'm really, every woman. It's all in me. So w- what's your website? WonderWomanWriter.com? Yes. Right. And Jen Palumbo writes for Forbes. She's got some fabulous articles to check out. Yes. So thanks for being awesome. Thank you. This I'm excited. Been great. Yes, me too. The band reunion we didn't know. So funny. All right. I'll see you soon. Yes. All right. Bye. Bye. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is an Offscript Health production. The executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. Our senior producer is Sarah Rosa Davies. It's mixed and edited by Sarah Rosa Davies and Kyle Moore. Special thanks to Brianna Seeley for added support. If you like the show, ratings and reviews are always welcome. Leave us a message anytime at 855-AUDIO-66. That's 855-AUDIO-66 to share your healthcare shitness with us. And we might just play them on the air on a future episode. For more information about this show and Offscript Health, visit offscript.com. That's offscript, no T, dot com. <laughs>